Don't Call Me Girl Boss is about sharing women small business owners' real, unfiltered, and relatable business journeys in Texas and California. I am your host, Jessica Ray Buck, a small business owner myself. I interview amazing women who share exactly how they got to where they are today. I hope this encourages anyone listening to start a business or get better in the business they are in. Hello, and thank you for choosing to listen to another episode of Don't Call Me Girl Boss. If this is your first time listening, thank you for choosing to listen as well. I am your host, Jessica, and I interview women small business owners. And this week, I have on a really amazing guest. She talks all about finance, and that is literally my worst topic. I don't want to look at my books. I don't want to know anything. I'm the worst at that. I literally dread it. I'm that person that logs into my account and I like don't even want to see the numbers, even though I know I have money. It's just the just the thought. I just don't like it. And um, Megan, she loves it. She thrives in it. And when she talks about it, and you know, we're on Zoom and we can see each other's faces. Unfortunately, you guys can't, but you know, her face lights up talking about it. And we talked briefly about marketing and my face lit up. And so it was just really interesting to me that someone could be into finance and there really is something for everyone. And Megan shares so many, so many good tips and I just can't wait for you to listen to it. Before we get into that episode, I do want to speak briefly on something that happened to me this week, um, which I think is really important to know when starting a business or if you have a business right now. So you can register your business in your state like LLC, an S Corp, even a DBA. That doesn't mean you own your trademark. There's a difference between a trade name and a trademark. A trademark means that you own your brand completely. Someone can't come out with the same name, Sunless Ray, R-A-E, because I own that. And they can't come out with the plural version either because it's So the reason trademarks are even out there, it is so that the market doesn't get confused. So if someone were to search Sunless Ray and someone else comes up with the same, you know, a self-tanning product, like that's confusing to the consumer because they're not sure who really is Sunless Ray. So that's what a trademark protects. So if you don't own your trademark, but you have the trade name, someone can file a trademark with your business name and gain the rights to it. And you really can't do anything. I'm not a lawyer. So talk to a lawyer if this is happening to you. I don't, I'm not in legal, but this is just what I gathered from my research and kind of what I just went through recently. And so it is so important. If you think, I think everyone, so this is a great way to think of it. Think of your business name on a product. And that is how you should name your business. If you can't see your name on a product, then it's kind of not worth branding. So it's different if you're just a one-on-one, I'm going to provide a beauty service and that's all I'm ever going to do. It's not that important. But if you're ever to branch out, it is so important. Even if you're bringing on partners and you have a trademark, that becomes an asset and that becomes something that they're more interested in and will give you more money for in a contract. So it is so, so important. And you can easily go on Google and search trademarks and see if your trademark is taken, if the one that you want is available. It's just a super, super easy search. I filed my trademark with LegalZoom. It was $474. 
And I'm so, so glad I did. And it is so important. And the reason I say this is because this past week, so I got in a Venmo from a random person. It was like Sunday. I wasn't even working. And this has happened before one other time. And I kind of thought it was probably from the same business. And then it's a sunless raise, R-A-E apostrophe S in Maryland. And so they're using my trademark out there. And I've thought about it for a while, but I was like, whatever. And then I kept getting a uh, Venmo. This is the second time. And it's like annoying because I can't even send her back the full amount without me having to take a little bit out of my pocket because Venmo takes a transaction fee now. And I know it's super petty of me, but like, come on, you're already using my trade name. Like, I'm not going to give you an extra 20 cents or whatever. It's really petty of me, but it's just my perspective. Like, I'm not going to do that. And so I ended up messaging her and telling her I own the trademark and kind of to stop using it. And um, she thought she owned a trademark in Maryland and she doesn't. She owns the trade name. So she doesn't have any authority over it. And she did have her business before me, but she doesn't own the trade name. So I win. And it's not like I want to win in this situation. It's pretty shitty. Like I think about someone coming in and stealing my business name and I'm blindsided and I had no idea that someone owned this trademark. I'd be devastated. But this is the name of the game when you're in business and you own a trademark. And this is why it's so dang important. You could do all these, all this branding, build up all these clients, build up an Instagram account. Someone could own the trademark and take it all away they have to pursue legal action. Like they have to take you to court and stuff. It can't just be like happen. Like this girl, she changed her Venmo and like cash app names, but she's not going to change her business name, which I totally get. Like she wants to fight for her business. Totally understand. So there's nothing like automacity with her. It just like, if I go to court, I'm going to win. And so eventually down the road, I might have to do that as I bring on partners, things like that. So I wanted to share this with you so that you can kind of get some context of why this is so important and how if that girl would have filed that trademark, she would be in the right and she would have had me change my business name and I would have been devastated. So these are things that you don't really think about when you first start your business. This is something I definitely didn't think about when I started my business and my boyfriend was actually the one who told me I should file a trademark and I was like, oh my God, dumb, whatever. And I'm so, so glad I did because of instances like this and I'm protected. I know someone can't come out with the name Sunless Ray. So this is very, very important. And I encourage you if you don't own a trademark and you are looking to expand your business outside of just a service that you're doing that you trademark your name. And if you have questions about that, my experience, why I think this, you're welcome to DM me on Don't Call Me Girl Boss's Instagram. And I'm happy to help any questions, help you with any questions that you have. Um, again, I'm not an expert. This is just from my experience and what I suggest that you do, because obviously the situation just happened to me. But that is what's going on with me. Um, that was interesting. I was like DMing her. I know I feel so bad. I feel like a shit person, but I mean, when it comes to your business, you have to protect it and your name and branding is everything. So I'm going to sit on that. I'm sure as I gain partners with my business, they're going to want to pursue that. So that's something down there that you're probably going to have to change your business name. So enough about that. Um, Our guest is talking all about finance. Like I said, her name is Megan Dahl and she used to work in accounting. She got her degree. And then she went out on her own and helps people individually 
she has a um a book a bookkeeping book club <laughs> so i think it's a really interesting concept she um charges people like i think it's 150 a month and you can go into this group once a week and you do your books with a group of people and she helps you and answers questions and make sure you're doing things right. And I just think she's such a great resource and she's all on her own and she's just making it happen. And I love talking to her. And without further ado, um, here is Megan. I have a sophomore in high school and a junior in college. Oh, how's that? I know my teenage years were rough. They're so good. They're such good kids. I don't know what I did to deserve that. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> um, well, that's great. They're good because I was a nightmare. But um, where did you grow up? I grew up about two hours north of here. I'm in Sioux Falls, um, in Millbank. I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I grew up in this small town called Millbank, like 3,200 people at its peak, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Small graduating class of 132, which is the largest class to ever go through. And <laughs> Wow. How, how was that experience? In up in Melbourne, the small town? Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of ruled the roost, right? Like everybody <laughs> could have their own little niche and mine was all things geek, debate and theater and band and choir, and you could do all the things and try everything. So it was pretty, actually pretty ideal. But, and, and where you guys are at now, it's not very small? No, Sioux Falls are just pushing a thing about 200,000. Okay. Much bigger, yeah. And when you were in high school, what is it that you wanted to pursue? Oh, um, lots of things. I've always wanted to do like everything, everything in front of me. I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice because I was in debate and I had a high sense, highly developed sense of justice. I um, wanted to be an architect, and then my art teacher, who I took art for for all four years, and who was my homeroom teacher, he's like you know, maybe you should do civil engineer instead. In in my brain, I took that as no, you cannot be an architect. So I was like, oh, what now? So from there, I kind of lost my zest. And I was like, I'll just, I just went to school wherever they offered me a scholarship. I didn't necessarily like deliberately pick a college after that. Um, and so I was kind of like, I don't know. I did theater and political science in college and um, I didn't really find my footing until after I graduated. Um, and then after you after you graduated, so I was having some technical issues. Um, after you graduated, what did you decide or where did you go? Did you go straight to college? Um, so graduated high school, went straight to college down at SDSU, South Dakota State University, and studied theater and political science. And um, I got married during college and uh, during our last semester, we were judging a debate tournament at a high school and my husband comes walking down the hall. He's all chipper about something. And I'm like, what is going on? And he says, hey, um, let's move to Nashville. And I was like, um, okay, never been to Nashville, anything like that. But he was in a band and there was a producer that lived there that heard their band and offered to produce their album for free. So we're like, all right, let's go live in Nashville while you record an album, that'll be great. And so down to Nashville, we went. And I worked um, selling furniture um, at a high-end furniture store. And I got to meet some, you know, some Nashville famous people. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. But then when we came back, I was still kind of, you know, 
directionless. And my mom handed me a book and it was like accounting for non-accountants. She's like, you're coming to work for me. You're going to do my books. So I'm like, okay. So I read this book and I taught myself accounting and I went and I did her bookkeeping. And I was like, this is so cool. It's so nice and tidy and clean. <laughs> really? You're like the rare people that actually like finance. Yeah. Well, it made sense, right? Like it was like all, everything had a place to be. Everything, everything told a story and, and was part of something. And you could see how it was all moving together. Um, and I like learning things. I like discovering things. I mean, ask me what I'll do next. And it'll be like, I, I don't know, let's go build a cemetery for and return the land to native prairie and make it a natural cemetery. I don't know. Let's go build houses in a completely redesign type of neighborhood. Let's go, you know, I, I want to do something different all the time. And at that time, accounting was something different and completely new to me. So after that, I went and got my master's degree in accounting because I was like, oh, maybe this is something I can do for a living. <laughs> wow. So you found out that you liked it a little bit self-taught and then you went to pursue it in college. Yep. Yep. That's when I went back and got my master's in professional accountancy. And what made you know that you had to go back to school versus just being self-taught and, you know, you could have worked for your mom or started your own right then and there? Well, that was different than bookkeeping, right? Like uh, education has been highly, always highly valued in our, in our family. And so when it was like, okay, if you want to be an accountant, you need to get your CPA, you need to get that accounting degree behind you. So um, I did. And then right when you got done with schooling, uh, what did you do? Um, I went to work for, um, this is where things started to be like, shoot, what did I do? (laughs) I went to work for this firm who did um, Sarbanes-Oxley Compliance Consulting. Now, if you think that sounds boring, then you should actually do it because it was really boring. (laughs) Well, Sarbanes-Oxley was this law that came out after Enron to put controls in place in these corporations that would make the board of directors and the people that were in charge of the business actually liable for these accounting practices that were going on. So we'd go into these um, C-Corps, these publicly held companies, and we would document their internal controls and show them where the deficiencies were. Um, It was audit. It was travel. It was not numbers crunching. It was pouring. The people were great. I loved the people, but boy, did that suck. And so when I was getting ready to leave, one of my clients um, that I was working was an ethanol company. And they were like, you're leaving? Oh, uh, how about you come work for us instead? And I was like, okay, I'll come to work for you instead. And uh, a year later, they filed bankruptcy. And I was like, oh. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But it turned into the greatest summer of my life. I mean, it was the best summer because I had, um, I was one of the last five employees standing. So they had 950 employees. I was one of the last five. I would go in once every two weeks and press a button and pay payroll. That's it. That was my like one job. So I got to hang out with my kids at the pool all summer. I got to, you know, just relax into a summer. It was fantastic. And then when it was time to find another job, I was like, just hang on until school starts again and I'll come to work for you. And at that time it was a controller for um, a corporate interiors design firm. So they did um, interior design and furnishing. And I did that for seven years. I helped that company with seven for seven years. And every once in a while, a friend or an acquaintance would come to me and they'd say, 
hey, can can you take a look at something for me? Or this thing feels weird. Or I had a friend, her invoice, she was doing some marketing consulting, her invoice came across my desk. And I was like, honey, um, I saw your invoice. I thought what you're charging per hour. Um, How's it going? immediate fear she's like how did you know like you you can't I mean it looks good it looks like a six-figure year when you do it on paper and all of that you can't make a living on $75 an hour when you're charging $75 an hour and you have a business to run you can't do it and so immediately like the gears started turning for her and six months later her husband was able to quit his job and come to work for her company because wow. it was like a new perspective and I was like, oh, this is something this is something okay and then i had another friend shortly thereafter um asked me she's like i think our partner is stealing from us but she was a silent partner she had just invested in this company with a few other couples and she didn't know anything about accounting. She didn't really know much about business, quite frankly. And um, like, I, I just had a feeling and I don't know, I don't know how to see. Like, can you help me with this? Yeah, absolutely. Send me your books. And eight hours later, I called her. I was like, yeah, you got a problem. Wow. Even, like anywhere between 200 and $400,000. And it turned out to be 450,000 that they had stolen over four years. So Oh my gosh. That, that was my launching point. I was like, I'm out over here. This is boring. I like this new stuff where I get to dig and see things and see people. Yeah. So what is, to go back to your CPA job a little bit, what is like a day in the life of that look like? Is it just like, what do you do all day? <laughs> like now or back no, then? No, back then. Like when you're working like a nine to five. Yeah. So I would never did get my CPA, but that audit stuff, put that taste right out of my mouth. Like that is not anything that I ever wanted to do again. Um, that one in particular. So we would come up with a control matrix that would go through all of your systems, whether it's accounts payable or accounts receivable or inventory or, um, asset management, anything that you're supposed to stick a number on and shows up on your balance sheet or income statement. We needed to show that there was uh, controls that somebody knew what was going in and out of that account. It wasn't just, you know, willy nilly. Um, And so it was spreadsheets. It was many, many spreadsheets and going to the person who writes invoices and say, okay, I see you sent out this invoice. How do you know that this invoice is valid? And they'd look at me like, are you kidding? I send out an invoice because a truck went out the door with, with ethanol in it. Like, this is the stupidest question ever. And I was like, well, you know, for my job. And so it was just the same questions, the same control matrices and um, interviewing, interviewing, interviewing people with questions that they didn't want to answer. And then when you finally decided, okay, I'm done with this, I'm going to start my own thing. Like, what are the beginning days of that look like? Um, so it was actually nice to have that, that one first client come to me and say, oh my goodness, help me with this thing. Cause it gave me a good buffer into, um, it gave me my boost. It gave me my cash to say, see you later to the job where I was the controller, where I was, um, you know, taking care of that, that interior design company and working with interior designers and installers and all those every day and, um, taking that steady paycheck and saying, you know what, I'm going to go try something else on my own. I now had a nice cushion and I could map out my cash flow for the coming months and know exactly what I needed to do. And I still didn't know like, like 
what it was I was going to do. I just knew what I was capable of doing, right? Like I can read numbers and translate them. You don't understand your numbers here. Let me help you with that. I got that. I can do that for you. Um, so I guess looking back, it was, it was taking whatever would come at me, right? Like they'd get these clients and they'd refer somebody else to me that has a completely different problem. And they'd refer somebody else that has a completely different problem. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And so what is it that you are, were doing then before we get into what you are doing now? Like, was it just literally anything across the board? (laughs) It was anything. And I'd get elbow deep in a project and I'd be like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Some examples of it. Oh, um, oh, somebody uh, offered to, they, they needed help finding, they just had too much for as big as they grew from a company of small three people running it, running everything in Excel with no accounting software whatsoever um, to like still using those same systems, but being 30 times the size that they were. So each of their 3,000 customers had a spreadsheet that they were tracking their transactions on. And I don't mean just a tab on a spreadsheet. You had to go open an all new file for Mr. Jones and put his $1.25 charge in there and then you save it. But you, so there, was, there were no systems involved. And I was like, yeah, I can fix this. Getting a little too big for my britches. And so I found him a nice piece of software that would work. Um, but that was kind of, by fire. I don't think I'd do a project like that again because there's so many, so much hubris on my part going into it, going, yeah, I can fix this because I can see what the end is supposed to look like. What I forgot to do in that particular project was bring the client along with me on the journey, right? Like, like I know what it's supposed to look like. So instead of saying, hey, come along, this is what I need you to do. This is what I'm doing and keeping high visibility. I was like, I, I, this is, I'm just going to take care of it. It's going to be fine. It'll be fine. Well, I need all of their buy-in, right? Like I need the clients and I need his employees to all have buy-in along the way and not just hand them this thing that say, here's your shiny new puppy and this is how it works. They're like, what yeah. do you mean this is my shiny new puppy? I don't want to, sh- nobody, t- I know I don't want to train a shiny new puppy. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So there was definitely learning by fire with those first couple clients. And what um, like legal steps did you take? Did you file like an LLC and everything right away? Yeah, yeah. Just because in my state, it's super easy to do. Um, I've been in the business world for a while. So it was go pay my 50 bucks and file my LLC right away. Mm-hmm. Yep. How much mm-hmm. is your fee there? A year. 50 bucks. $50. A year? A year. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. In California, I think it's seven, 800. Yeah. In Texas, I think it's two fifty three hundred. It's crazy, fifty dollars. Yeah, and we don't have income tax or corporate tax or anything like that, just sales tax. So oh, yeah, I moved out of simple. California. Texas is a lot better, but I just think the LLC fee is crazy <laughs> in California. Yeah, you know, I've worked for companies where they had to go get their sales tax license there, and they'd have to get their registered agent, and it was insane. I was like, we have one sale in California, and the entire profit's going to be eaten up by the LLC fee. Why are we doing this? Yeah, exactly. So what is it you're exactly offering clients now, and how did your business evolve to that? Yeah, so I started working with smaller and smaller clients, right? And it niched into the interior design world and started helping people one by one there because that's what I had been working in the last seven years was interior design. 
um, just on a bigger scale. And so these smaller firms that are one or two people, maybe four or five employees, um, listening to what their questions were. Like the main thing was helping them, first of all, get eyeballs on what was going on in their business. Like they didn't even want to open up their financial statements because they didn't know what it, what it meant or what it said. So I put on the kid gloves and start gently walking them through like, okay, now let's just walk through your balance sheet. And I want to hear from you, from the horse's mouth, like, does this make sense? Does it make sense to you that there's $12,000 sitting here in sales tax payable? And I'd be like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. We only pay like, you know, $400 a month in sales tax. So then we'd know like, oh, okay, something's a little bit wonky here. Let's go take a look and start digging and gently moving them through. So at the end, they were like, oh, I get it. Okay. I know, I know how to look at these and see if things make sense, but that evolved into like, what's next? Well, what's next is like, what are you still uncomfortable about? And what it finally distilled down to after a few years was like, what would make them feel really good is to know that they're okay. And what, what means for okay, it doesn't mean the past, like they, that was then, but how do I know that I'm going to be okay two months, three months, six months from now? I'm like, well, that's a cash forecast. I enjoy how to do one of those. That's super easy. But for them, I mean, it's not a standard financial statement. People don't think of future cash forecast as a standard financial statement. And from there, that's actually what I'm using to answer my clients' questions all along. Like, can I afford to hire somebody? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look at your future cash forecast. Let's see what that looks like. How much, where are the dips going to be in your cash in the coming months so that we're not making decisions when our bank account is full, we're making decisions based on how low our bank balance is getting. And then from there, what is the other question that they're asking you? The question that they came up with the most was like, can I hire? I'm feeling really, really busy and weighed down on, can I afford to hire people? And so that's where I came up with the hiring for profit. It takes this big future cash forecast and distills it down to this little tiny microcosm of what is the difference between if I hire and if I don't hire when it comes to my cash? Can I afford to do it? How long is it going to take to get a, a return on that investment? And how can I accelerate that so I'm making more money faster from that hire to make it really worth it? So that's the big, huge evolution of how I got to hiring for profit. That's, that's our main project right now. And you say we, do you run your business with other people now? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, I don't have full-time employees. I have uh, people who help me with my social media. I have a VA who is amazing. I actually have a VA firm that I work with that um, they help me. What is a VA? Right my virtual assistant. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. He's uh, my executive virtual assistant. I believe they do EVA, um, but I use satiated artists and they're so great at matching you, me with what I needed because I knew I needed help. Um, I just didn't know, like I was running out of time. I didn't know what to do with them. Like I thought everything was so me reliant. Like I'm the only one that can write this content. I'm the only one that can set this up. It's just gonna be faster if I do it. And um, Laura at Satiated Artist, she's like, okay, we're gonna get you matched up with somebody who's going to complete your projects because you're really good at starting them, Megan, but you specifically need somebody who can finish them. And I was like, like me, that's totally me. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you know that you were at the stage two hire? 
Um, when my husband was complaining that I was going back into my office after supper every night, like, okay. Yeah. He's like, in the hand, like, thanks for supper. Um, mind cleaning the kitchen. I gotta get, I gotta go finish this one thing and finishing that one thing would turn into, um, you come into bed like, Oh yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess I should go to bed. <laughs> like, and okay. how many clients were you having at that time? Is yours monthly or reoccurring or is it like project-based? It's project-based still. So I do it. It's, um, it's a hybrid. I do it a little bit differently than other people who do CFO services. They like to do, they like to do like a financial review every month. Um, I've learned that I need to work within my own strengths and my own strengths tell me that I get, uh, bored very easily. So I, once my clients are educated on how to read their financial statements, I don't want them to be reliant on me to bring it to them to say, okay, let's go through it again this month. I want to solve the problem that's in front of them. So what I do with my clients is um, they come in for a deep dive and we spend uh, half a day together just going through their financials and getting them super comfortable and uncovering what the questions are that they really want answered and actually answering them right there. Like how is it that you get into your lake house in the next three years? Are you prepared for that? Are you protecting the progress towards it? Um, and then I don't wanna see you every month. I wanna see you stand on your own two feet. I want you to come back to me about every two weeks or every two months, every quarter, every six months, whatever's comfortable for you. And we're gonna do a smaller deep dive, something to just make sure that you are still on track. Um, and that's enough to keep me interested. And it makes sure that I'm not like, I don't, I don't want them to be on a subscription model and they're not getting anything from it. I want them to have true questions and get through. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like some are like monthly basis. You have to see me very much. I tried that. It bored me. <laughs> yeah. So everyone I'm sure runs it way different. Yes. Yep. Um. So how did you, how did you figure out your prices for that? Um, I kept on asking for bigger and bigger numbers. Um, I keep asking for bigger numbers until it scares me. And I still <laughs> do that. That's still my tactic. Like, okay, I got super used to asking for $200 for a deep dive, which looking back was like, oh my gosh, what a steal. Um, up until like today, I'm still asking $2,000 for a deep dive and I'll keep on pushing those prices until I don't have any takers. And you're getting still a lot of bites. You kind of figured out what was too much and what was too little by just testing the market. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I haven't found the cap on it yet. I haven't found the peak. Um, but I'm also evolving into a space where I only want a very few select deep dives per month. And I like, um, like really like how this hiring for profit is going and so people can kind of self-serve a little bit and then come into office hours and get their answers quickly um what i always struggled with was people like saying megan you got to serve people who have tons and tons of money and i was like that's not where my heart is my heart is with these people who have like maybe one or two employees or maybe no employees at all that are just trying to get something going they've been at this for five six years and they can sell their thing they just can't seem to put any money in their pocket at the end of the day yeah and so how can i still serve them and make money at the same time like like i i don't want to be in that position where i've seen so many people just chugging and chugging and chugging and not making that money so um uh, but at the same time, not stretching for the people who are already making a hundred thousand and two hundred thousand dollars a year, because frankly, their problems are much different. Their problems are more tax related, and I won't touch taxes at ten foot pole. 
Um, they certainly have cash planning things that I love to dive into, but those are more collective in terms of, I want to work with businesses that are really fun. I've come across in the last couple months, this is where I'm really excited where my business is going like, yep, I'll serve you. Here is hiring for profit and a few office hours that you can come in as a group and that's awesome for you. But now I can be really selective in these things that these companies, one of them, he works in like um, altered states with your brain and how to change your wow. brain with like vibrations or with meditation or with um, these electrodes that'll put on these really cool companies that are out there that I get to see the inside of. That's awesome. That really awesome I like um are those still becoming like referrals those are all referrals at this point mm -hmm. wow and it's like all over the U.S. it's not really specific to South Dakota or anything right yeah yep they're all over mm -hmm. do you know how that word of mouth is happening is it just like friends of friends just super random do you ask you know, the one started with um uh I went to a for lack of a better term, I'll call it a mastermind. And there were just, it was almost, it was way outside my comfort zone. I'm kind of consider myself an introvert, but I'm reconsidering that. <laughs> um, and it was outside my price range. It was outside anything I would normally do at all. And it was a super small group. I went and on the first day, I just kind of sat in the corner and watched everybody around me and listened to their stories. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are killing it. They're doing incredible things. These are awesome people, man. I wish I was good enough to be their friend. You know what I'm saying? And then, um, the facilitator, she's like, just, man, just go talk to them. I'm like, you mean like, like, like people, I can just, I can just talk to, to people and they don't think I'm ridiculous. She's like, yeah, just talk to them. I made the best friends. And, um, that was kind of the roller coat, the, the start of the marble. What is it? Not the roller coaster with the marble gets kind of pushed off the edge, make a few friends and they start referring. And then they're like, Oh my gosh, she knows her stuff. Let me introduce you to my friend over here. I'm like, Ooh, this is fun. Oh, cool. So just kind of like yeah. a snowball effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I heard, well, I also believe that that's the best way to grow. Yeah. Yeah. You're not yeah, pushing it. You're not, you know, selling yourself, your soul online. <laughs> To get a client. Yeah. 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 So what are some of the best bookkeeping tips that you have? Future cash forecast. That is my number one. Like you don't need your, you don't need your income statement or your balance sheet until you're like ready to hire. Frankly, what you really need, because this is what happens. People get their income statement because they don't know how to read their balance sheet. They just get their income statement. They flip it to the last page at the bottom number. They're like, yep, that's about right. Like, okay, yeah, that feels about right. That makes sense. Nothing surprising really happens on your income statement or your balance sheet. But what happens when you don't have a plan for your cash, and this is what the cash forecast does. When you plan out what is going to happen with your cash in the next six, 12 months, when you can see where the dips are and where the peaks are, because we make the mistake so many times making decisions at the peak, and then we get to the next valley and we're out of cash and we're like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have done that thing. We can start raising the valleys, right? Like we can plan for, we know that June is going to be a terrible month for your e-commerce store, let's say. And um, you know that you're not going to come back out of that until October. So you certainly don't want to be making decisions when you have a fantastic May, May ever. 
you don't want to be, you want to make sure that money is stretched out until it gets you through to October. Or um, if you don't have these valleys, these are my favorite clients to work with actually, are the ones that are like starting to really, really get the momentum going. And they're sitting on like $150,000 in the bank, but they're so scared to touch it. Like this business is finally serving them how they always envisioned, but they don't want to break anything because they've struggled for so long and all of a sudden things are working. And so they're like, um, what, like, what do I need? What can I do? I was like, well, let's, let's talk about what your goals are in the first place. Like, and, oh, no, I wanted to have a, I wanted to have that lake home. I wanted to have this money set aside for when my daughter gets married. I wanted to do these things. And so we'll break it down to the top three goals and we'll give that money a job, right? Like let's give it a job so that you're actually protecting the progress towards those goals. And so now this 150 that was just sitting there doing nothing and actually like causing them some fear to look at it because like, uh, <laughs> it's intimidating to have money. Now we're like plotting it out. Okay, great. Let's, let's keep 50,000 in your business just so you can feel good. Let's, let's just do that. You know, feel nice. Now let's use this $100,000 to actually come up with these dreams. And here's the thing, when people are actually starting to pull money out of their business and in, in amounts that they've never felt or seen before, um, what they thought were their dreams actually shifts. Like, oh, you know, I thought I wanted that lake house, but what would be really, really cool is if my husband and I were just able to travel together every two months. <laughs> I, think, I think that would like all of a sudden um, these dreams that are starting to become reality are like, oh, no, what I really, really want is this other really cool thing. And I can have that now. I can have that now. So yeah, um, long story, long answer to your question of yeah, what are some bookkeeping No, tips that was a great um, future cash flow. To do that cash flow, do you have to be X amount of years in your business? Nope. You could do it even before day one. In fact, the sooner that you do it, the better. Um, the whole point is not to be perfect. Like you are not going to predict to the penny what your next 12 months are going to be like. Nobody ever does, but you can certainly learn from it. You can learn if you have a habit of being too conservative. You can learn that if you have a habit of being too enthusiastic about what you think is going to happen in the future, because it's also part of it is building it but then comparing it to what actually happened. What it really is, it's an income statement plus a few lines because it deals more all cash. Um, so there's a few things that you need to add to it, like your debt service payments and you know owner pay and things like that. But it's, it's a cash, it's an income statement plus lines um, built out for future months. So I just start with an income statement, drag all the cells over for the next, however many months and we start adjusting things and adding in all of the non, all of the cash items that don't appear. Um, um, so it's, it's, I mean, day one, if you're thinking, okay, I don't think I'm going to be making a profit or I don't think I'm going to be bringing in revenue at, for at least another three months, at least you know how deep you're going to dig before you get to month three. And then you have a plan. Like that's the whole point is to see the valleys. And if the valleys are under that zero line, what's the plan? So it's not like, uh, let's get a credit card. Go, go, go. It, yeah. it, let's, let's um, shoot. We have to ask mom and dad for money or uh, I don't and know. Take so out another mortgage. Like I'm not a planner. Like this is like a foreign language to me. So if I'm that type of person, that's when you become of a great assistance. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't want to burst. The last thing I want to do is burst anybody's bubble, right? I'm more in this, in the, um, I'm along for the ride, whatever you want to do. I just want to make sure that you are fully aware that in month four, that you might be $25,000 in the hole. And do we have a plan for that now? So it's not frantic once we get there. When you tell people these things, do you find that they get scared or nervous? Like, I feel like this is the elephant in the room. I never want to like go say hi to, you know, it's like, I don't want to know when I'm losing money. I just want to know at the end of the year. And I know that's really bad business. No, no. So this is the reaction that I usually get first. When we first get on the phone, people are always really kind of nervous Yeah, and, you know, timid about it. Don't Um, even want to answer the call. Yeah. There's (laughs) tears. Many of the time there are just tears because all of these anxieties and concerns that they've had for so long, they finally have somebody to talk to it. And by the end, like taking that anxiety, um, seeing it, putting it out on the table and giving it time to do its thing. And then by the end, having a plan, like there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no judgment. That's like judgment is, I don't want anything to do with it. I just want you to know that if the train is coming down the tracks, that you have somebody right here holding your hand and helping you get off the tracks as fast as possible, you know? Um, So, so like, they people might have a feeling that um they're falling behind or that they just need this next thing to work but they don't know what that that nut to crack is in order to be okay and once they can see what that nut is and make a plan for achieving it it's like a breath of fresh air yeah so all of these things these scary things that we leave in the dark Um, that we don't want to address the debt, the bills, the, I don't know how to read the numbers. I don't want to start doing an accounting anything because it's fine. I'm just going to keep paying the minimums. I'm just going to, you know, keep doing with my bank balance accounting. Once you don't have to do it alone and you have somebody to talk to and strategize through it. um, I'm not going to say that it's painless because I mean, people come, that anxiety is real, that, that pain and, and, Sometimes embarrassment and shame is real, but once you can get it out into the light, it's it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, What are some of like your basic finance accounting tools, like tips, like, you know, open a business bank account. Like what is like literally the basic, basic if someone was just starting? Yeah. Always keep your, um, finances separate, right? Like your business finances and your personal finances completely separate, different bank accounts, different credit cards, everything separate. No matter if um, you're self-employed, LLC, doesn't matter. No matter. does not matter. Keep them separate. Um, you don't necessarily need a business banking account. You can just get two personal accounts. Okay. That makes, you know, especially I if you're not an LLC. Hard, yeah. That's totally okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's not, um, time to go run out and go get a QuickBooks account right away or anything like that. If you can do it in Excel, you're fine. You're okay. fine. But just be super realistic about what your expenses are um, and what your income is and just keep an eye on it. Don't judge it. Don't feel, it's one thing to say, don't feel shame about it. Um, it just, it is what it is. It's just a number on a piece of paper. It doesn't change who you are as a human anything like that. Um, but don't hide from it for sure. 
And should you be doing your books every month or is once a year okay? (laughs) Honestly, that depends. Uh, My dirty secret is I do my books once a quarter. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I do my books once a quarter, um, but I also have a future cash plan that I'm looking at things on a monthly basis just to to adjust like hang on a second what did why why are those expenses sitting around why are those a thousand dollars higher than they were last month oh oh and I missed that I missed that thing um and I can do that based on my my um your bank statement where it says amount in and amount out like it says withdrawals and deposits yeah, yeah you can do that pretty easily without getting too tied down to your QuickBooks. Um, I do though with my clients, I, I, the ones that come into bookkeeping club, they come in and they do their books once a week, but they're a little once bit larger business. Yeah. Well, they're, they've been around, right? I mean, yeah. they've been trying to do their books. I guess they have like for... someone who just specifically does that, right? Well, they don't at that point. That's why they're in bookkeeping club. Um, okay. But they have bigger companies and they used to spend like four hours a week doing their books or procrastinating and not doing their books. And so now they just come in once a week, one hour, get their answers and pop out. And it was done, done. Everybody was taxed already by middle of January. It was pretty cool. Wow. That is impressive. I just filed my taxes like, right. Like I'm pretty good. It's like, I think I do in a month. And I was like, this is the earliest I've ever been. (laughs) But it's only because I made, I lost money in 2020. So I wasn't scared to do my taxes because I knew I wouldn't owe. (laughs) And I was like, this is the first year I don't owe in taxes because I got a bunch of PPP. Well, I got the PPP loan last year. And so that's not taxable, taxable yeah. income. So it comes out. Did, as you get it, did you get it all forgiven? Did you get your little paperwork, yes. your letter that says? I got the first one forgiven. The second one, I don't think the forgiveness has happened yet, but um, yeah, it was so great because I know everyone was so terrified to apply and not get it forgiven. I, I talked to so many business owners who wouldn't do it. And I was like, just do it and figure it out later. If anything, it's a really low interest business loan. Absolutely. Yep. And now everyone's kicking themselves in the butt for not doing it. And I was like, I didn't understand that. Um, yeah. So that came out last April. I think it passed and uh-huh. I stayed up that night and I read that whole bill, like all of the stuff that went along with it. And it, I think they're passing out so much money. It's insane how much money. Yeah. Yeah. It's like kind of scary. So sometimes I feel like I'm like taking money that I shouldn't be taking. <laughs> <laughs> Did you I'm have to deal with your um, clients getting the PPP and stuff? Um, yeah, so mine was more about educating them and making sure that they were finding a decent lender to get it through. The big banks were a nightmare to work with. Yeah. Um, luckily, I, would... I have, yeah, we had relationships with local banks were the heroes when it came to the PPP. Yeah. Absolute heroes, especially that first round. Um, and so just kind of educating them and like, this is going to be easier than you think. You're mm-hmm. overthinking it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're overthinking it. We're going to keep it in a separate bank account if that makes you feel better. <laughs> Don't touch it if you don't feel like don't it. Don't touch it if you don't feel like it. <laughs> yeah. Did you get one for your business as well? I got the first round. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. You probably didn't need to get the second because I know it was. I didn't qualify for the second. Yeah. 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 The lowest I have, um, it was like 24% was the lowest I could get the calculation to go. So, oh, like, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fine. 
Well, at least you got some, and I'm glad that you got the help. I mean, if money, if the government's giving you money, take the money. <laughs> like, this is not a normal occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I th- I feel like they might do another one. Who knows? I don't know. Um, the, it's, the thing is that it's so different all across the U.S. right now, right? Like, in South Dakota, we're wide open. We've been wide open since day one. And I'm not saying that was the right answer. Yeah. Um, we certainly have a higher death rate than anybody else, but, um, I mean, there's still people that I'm surprised to hear. I'm surprised to hear whenever I hear anybody mention lockdown, that they're in lockdown still. I'm like, that just doesn't compute. It just doesn't compute. So yeah. it's interesting. I'll have vendors because we have an e-commerce business. I have vendors out of California that I haven't been able to get any product out of since maybe June because they're just not working. There's no there's no way to get anything out of them. Um, but yeah, it is super weird right now. Like I'm in Texas, but I own a business still in California and it's like night and day, Texas and California. like, they couldn't be more opposite. Really? <laughs> yeah. Texas. I'm in Austin. So it's a little bit more, um, conservative or sorry, liberal and keep yeah. your mask on and stuff like that. And California is obviously like that, but I know if you go outside of Austin, it's free for all. It's just this yeah. bubble. So it's so weird. We'll be in literally like 10 minutes outside of a city drive over and it's like, take that mask off. And we're like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's a different world for sure. We even have that here in South Dakota. Like there are certain places that we go and you absolutely wear a mask and you don't stay inside to eat in other places. Bars are just crowded. Nobody's wearing a mask. So I love Austin. Austin's great. Yeah. It's super fun. We love it. We moved here three months before COVID and thank God, because I have a two-year-old and we were in an apartment in California and the house scene has just it's insane here. Like we barely got our house. We were getting out bed, but now it's like a hundred K over asking every house out here. It's yeah. Not- that's, that's what it's like here too. It's insane. Houses aren't even hitting the market. All wow. the realtors are just trading amongst themselves before that's- it even hits the market. It's one of my clients, um, this week was like, yeah, I get a call from a realtor, you know, every day saying, we'll give you a hundred K over asking for your house right now. And my house isn't even for sale. <laughs> Yeah. And then where are you going to go? Okay. I sold my house. Where am I going to go? Yeah. Like it's more expensive for them to buy. Like, yeah, you make a bunch of money and then what? Yeah. Um, okay. Back a little bit. That was a tangent, but that was good. I wanted to ask you about the PPP loan. I was a huge advocate for people getting it and helping people. Cause I think a lot of people didn't even realize you could be self-employed and get it to this, like to this day, people don't even know that. And and now I get messages like, can I still apply? And I'm like, you know, if you have 25% loss of revenue, yeah. But I mean, it's almost over. It just, yeah. Um, Yeah. So what um, are your best like finance tips? Like your top three? Um, Get financing in place before you need it. Like, right, like if you're going to need a line of credit or credit cards, something like that, get it before you need it. Um, make those relationships with your bank, make those relationships with your credit union, whatever it, it may be. Um, because when you need money, they are not going to be giving you money, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second one is keep an eye on your future cash forecast. Give your money a job before it comes in the door, know where it's going to go. So it's not like this tempting balance 
sitting on your bank balance. Well, I don't know, on your phone for your bank balance. Um, it's, so you know it's functions, so it's not leaking out, right? Like that's 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 the defense part of business. Where the offense, you know, you're bringing in the cash. The defense is keeping it. Um, yeah, here's your cash forecast. Give your money a job. Um, if you have your financing in place before you need it. That's great advice. Um, how do you become more profitable? I kind of was reading your website and stuff, and you were talking a little bit about that. If like you said that person was making $75 an hour, wasn't making that much money. Is your answer, hey, just raise your prices? For her, it was. Um, but she didn't have a whole lot of expenses. But for her, yes, it was. Uh, that's not always my answer. Like, I'll go into a company, you'll, you know, you see on Facebook or LinkedIn, you know, these people are talking about like, I have $100,000 months. Well, I've seen the books on these $100,000 months. And they're spending $120,000 to get their hundred thousand dollar month. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows like they advertise it to be. Um, they reached a point for them many times where they scaled too big and their expenses exploded exponentially faster than their. And so for some of them, it's actually scaling back to a more profitable um, equilibrium and then finding a better way to scale. What's a different angle that we can take on scaling instead of just trying to hit the more button. Um, so it depends. It, it's really, really unique to each company. Wow. It's so interesting the way your brain works versus mine talking about business. Like I'm like product and marketing and branding and like your take on it are things that I wouldn't, like I, if I saw that hundred K a month post, I would be like, Ooh, what graphic did they make? You know, and your brain goes away. They probably didn't make a hundred K. Yeah. Yeah. You don't hear ta people talking about profit. You hear them talking about revenue and that's for a reason. <laughs> That is such a good tip. And I think good for people to hear because, you know, sometimes it's not a reality and you don't have to compare yourself to a hundred K ad you see on social media because really they might not be making any money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. And many times like they're getting caught in this hamster wheel of, oh man, yeah, I just made $600,000 on that launch, but that revenue was supposed to be paying off the debt that I had from my last launch three months ago. And this is supposed to get me through the next, you know, actually delivery of this month. But this launch also cost me $500,000. So shoot, I'm going to have to do another one in three months. It's really sucks. Yeah. You know, it's that, that uh, hard game with your credit cards. Do you, I know you said you don't really like to deal with taxes, but do you have any tax tips or is that like, yeah, don't, don't even do there. your own taxes. Don't do your own taxes. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's my tax tip. I got a 48% in my tax class in college. That was an A because of the curve and it was open book. Um, I don't do taxes. That's other people who have way more tolerance for that type of thing. Yeah. Get it. Get somebody good. That's make, um, make friends with them. How do you find a good um, tax person or CPA? Like, what do you recommend looking for? Um, you know, one way is kiss a few frogs before you find a good one. Um, but I've actually built up a little bit of a network. I have three of them that I recommend at this point. Um, and part of that is just, I was able to do that by hearing from other clients what they were able to do. Like uh, architects, there are certain tax things that are specific to architects that, um, 
if if I were to float a, a thing like, hey, did you get your R&D credit? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. That tells me that they probably need a new tech person that knows architecture specifically. Um, there's a uh, nth degree out of Seattle is amazing. They're amazing. They know all the little loopholes that they'll get you as much money back as possible. Um, this new woman, Carolyn Spip, is starting her tax firm after working inside the tax system for 10 years. And so she knows all the, where all the dead bodies are buried too. So um, part of it is knowing, I'm kissing a few frogs, and part of it is knowing who else in your industry is using a good tax person and know things specific to your type of business that they can help you out. You think it's really industry-based who you go with for taxes? Uh, it's 50-50. Yeah, right. I think so. Um, there are some things that are just super niche. Yeah. Just super niche, like restaurants. You're going to find a good tax person for restaurants. Um, what is the average amount that you should be paying for your taxes? Do you? I put 15% off the top of my everything aside for taxes and then hope to be able to write myself a nice little check alongside with the IRS. Okay. So yeah, um, just right off the top, 15% put in a completely different bank account. It's profit first method. If you've heard of profit first, um, uh, yeah. And you do that monthly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whenever I'm doing my books, pretty much is when I take And then what are some of the biggest um, business owners' mistakes with finance that you see? Mm, um, ignoring it, like thinking it's one of two ways, like either convincing themselves that the financial statements aren't going to tell them anything anyway, they're, they don't know what to look for and it's, it's fine their CPA or bookkeeper will take care of it. Here's the thing about CPAs and bookkeepers and tax people. They love gold stars. They love being right. They love being precise. They want their A and they want to move on. The only thing that you can be precise on is stuff in the past, stuff in history. And so people use accounting for historical knowledge for sure, but there is this open space over here that this is what's causing you all the angst is the stuff in the future, right? So leaning on your CPA or leaning on your bookkeeper to raise their hand and say, hey, did you consider this thing? Or, hey, I see this train coming down the track. You might want to, you might want to know about this. They don't do that. That's not the person who's going to raise the hand and, and like give you the warning signs of something coming down the track in the future. Um, so one, do your future cash flow. I'm just going to say that over and over again. That's just my, put me on a broken record. Do your future cash flow. Yeah. And two, know the role of who's doing what. Is your bookkeeper, your bookkeeper is going to put things in the right place, right? Your tax person is going to find you the best tax deal. Now don't go to them on March 12th and say, hey, will you be my tax person? Your tax person needs a discussion with you three times a year at least. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what are some benefits of using someone like you versus trying to Google things or reading books? Is it, what do you find? Uh, probably a frustration factor and a loneliness factor. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, I think entrepreneurs, especially, um, our minds are always going, right? You're sitting there and you wake up at three o'clock in the morning. You're like, uh, oh, thing, thing. 
that thing on your mind, just to have somebody there that's going to hold your hand through a conversation of, hey, I feel kind of a little bit like a fraud because I've never really understood this stuff or I've just kept ignoring it because it was fine and my bank balance is just, it was, it was fine. Um, but things just aren't really, I guess, functioning right. You know, my dreams aren't really coming true. You know, what I thought was going to be a six-figure year is a six-figure year, but I thought that meant like six figures for me. And that's not what it is. It means like $20,000 for me. And this really sucks. Yeah. So yeah, just having a, a companion, somebody to talk to about it and see that path of, um, how your business is ultimately going to get you to those goals that you always thought it could do for you. But that connection just never has gotten made yet. Yeah, that's a good point. And I related a lot when you said loneliness, because being an entrepreneur or just running a business by yourself is very, very lonely. Yeah. Your significant other only wants to hear so much of it. Uh, like they just don't understand right like do they I don't want to hear about my husband's 12 foot putt on hole 13 yeah I I don't he doesn't want to hear about you know the conversation I had with so-and-so over Facebook messenger about blah 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 (laughs) yeah I know I call mine and I'm like guess what just happened and he you could just tell it's over his head (laughs) but it's like I have to let it out to someone someone in this world has to know besides me Um, what are some struggles of running your business? If someone was wanting to do what you're doing, what are some of the hardships that you go through? Um, I think marketing is like the hardest thing for me, just because I always feel like, um, I'm feeding people vegetables in a dessert world. <laughs> yeah. You have, my clients have gotten to a certain point and that they're, they've reached a point of frustration where they're just like, finally, Fine, fine. I'm going to take this big, greasy, nasty Brussels sprout and I'm going to eat it. And to convince them that, you know, this isn't a Brussels sprout, you're going to be so much better off. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you... like you're, you're preaching to me a little bit this whole time. <laughs> I feel like, okay, I'll go do my books. I'm sorry. I've been bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly validate your product first, right? Like make sure you have a true business and let's get this thing going. I'm not going to knock anybody for going out and doing the offense side of their business first. There's no defense with the out the offense, right? But um, just getting them to the point of, okay, I get it. I see the benefit of knowing my numbers. I understand how that's going to accelerate my profitability to get me to my goals. That's always been my biggest struggle. And what do you do for marketing right now? I know you'd have the word of mouth, but question. how do you do your social media and all of that fun stuff? This is, oh, so I'm boy. excited to talk about this. <laughs> no, I'm the one that feels like, like, oh no, vegetables, here we come. <laughs> so I do some, um, I do, I, this is what I have my VA for, right? Like the stuff that I can't be consistent on. Um, he's the one that helps me come up with, he's, he's got this whole spreadsheet of different types of posts. And he's like, Megan, we're going to get through this. And so we get through the different types of posts and he goes out and he starts posting and um, starting some conversations on LinkedIn. I'm starting, like I said, being a little bit of an extrovert. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly not the engine that I wish it was. And I haven't gotten to the point yet where, 
I need it to be. <laughs> you know, what's beautiful about where you're at. My friend is like this here in Austin. She isn't an expert on social media, but she doesn't have to be. She crushes it and is making a ton of money and isn't doing the social media and all that. Imagine if she added the social media, like <laughs> what would happen? So yeah, I feel like you've, for me, you've done it the harder way. Cause you've had to grow or, you know, really organically word of mouth where I'm like on social media, creating graphics, doing this, doing that, or that's easy to me. So when I see people like you who have grown, I'm like, wow, I have even more respect for that because it's not through the way everyone else is doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So what, how, what is your social media strategy? Are you posting once a week? Um, so, uh, Facebook is the only thing that I've been able to be consistent with so far. Um, I do have a woman who runs an interior design group, which is a great interior design coach. And she lets me do a live in her group. Every Tuesday we do money talk Tuesday. Okay. Um, so that's the most consistent, I guess that I am. Um, Well, you've said such great nuggets in here, even just being the cash flow expert on social media would be like a downloadable form for that. Just like on your website, like I would download that and you'd get my email easy. Like I would talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Maybe you could help me out with some CPA and then I'll help you with um, some social media. But yeah. Cause like, I don't know where to get that form and I'd rather just, you know, there's a lot of people who do that, like download this and they collect your information. So it's valuable to you. Cause then you email market them and then I get the downloadable form for free, but then you yeah. potentially get my business, you know, a few months down the road is the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Like You're probably going to look at that form and go, Oh, I do not want to do this alone. And then I hire you. See, exactly. <laughs> it's a win. You can't lose in the situation. You're yeah. like, okay, you really want to see it. Here you go. Here's my number at the bottom. That's the most two things people are always like I don't want to do it wrong and I don't have the time well you do have the time for sure I hate when people say they don't have time everyone has time for what's important to them everyone yeah if you don't have time it's not important that's fine just tell yourself that and hire someone (laughs) you might do it wrong but you might do it right it might be really informative Yes. Um, So I did see on your social media, you're really into gardening. I wanted to talk to that, talk to you about that a little bit besides finance. I thought I'd be a a little fun, especially since now quarantine, everyone was gardening. (laughs) You were ahead of the curve. Yeah. They, they uh, raided my greenhouses last year for sure, but that's okay. I'll share. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you, do you have like a whole setup at your house or? Yep. Yep. I have, um, I have all raised beds. Um, okay. and so I did a lasagna gardening style. I don't know if you've heard of lasagna gardening. It's no. where you, you, um, you don't necessarily have to have the dirt. You just have to have the green matter and the brown matter. The brown matter is like dried grass and leaves and stuff like that. And the green matter is like, um, compost and, you know, things that you would put in your compost. We use aged horse manure and you just layer two inches of each layer, layer, layer. You can plant right in it. And it became the most delicious dirt. My tomatoes. I don't think I've ever heard the term delicious dirt ever. (laughs) First year I planted cherry tomatoes in there. The vines got to be like 20 feet long. It was insane. insane. So is this like your passion hobby? 
in the weather and when the weather gets warm yep yeah okay. you'll find me out digging in the dirt I'll have perma dirt under my fingernails that only comes out if I wash my hair so <laughs> and is this kind of like your getaway the reason I brought this up because I think it's important as a business owner to have something to get away that's not family that's not friends but just something to get your mind off of and it's yeah. hard to find the best ideas come in the garden Right? Yeah. Like when I'm not trying to think of an idea or trying to come up with the next social media post, but that's just like <laughs> torture for me. I even took myself like on a break today. I had, I had a small break at one 30. So I was like, I'm just going to go treat myself to Dairy Queen. So I went and I got myself a mini blizzard and I was like, I should be thinking of something on the way. I need to be thinking of my next like marketing and media stuff. And I could not keep my mind on it. Right. Like my mom wanted to think of anything else, but what I wanted it to think of. When I'm out in the garden, things are just flowing and talking to plants. There might just be this little, like, oh, yeah. Fun. Well, Brene, I was listening to a podcast with Brene Brown yesterday, and she said that when she's swimming, that's when she comes up with all of her book ideas, and mm -hmm. she'll have a waterproof notepad at the end of where she can stop swimming and literally write down her next book idea. And I was like, wow, imagine being Brene Brown and just coming out with that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's like, awesome. Swimming. <laughs> um well where do you see your business a few years from now so uh along the lines of um knowing how I get bored right like I just completed this exercise this last week it was about like okay what am I going to be doing in two years in two years I have this little network built up I want to have my little education pieces that just little work fun when people have big questions like okay I think I need to start putting my stuff in in QuickBooks great here's a little mini workshop you can go work on that yourself if you want more help come into this office hour um and then only not even offering private clientships to people like I I find you you find me through back alleys but I only want very few select one-on-one -on -one clients everybody else I want to be more democratic access to, I guess. Um, and girl, my, my real goal that I haven't told anybody this, cause I don't know if it's going to sound ridiculous. I want to take my bookkeeping club and I want to take it out to Shark Tank in two years. I want to say, Hey, here's this thing that I've built. I want to franchise it. I think that's great. And that is not crazy <laughs> at all. That would be amazing. And you better tell me when you're on Shark Tank. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your idea with that? How would that be franchisable? So um, the whole point of bookkeeping club is just like a, somebody, they come in, we have set hours. You have your hour where um, 20 people maximum come in and it's just co-working where everybody in that hour, they're working on their books, whether they're reconciliation. And then there's a facilitator in there who can see what they're working on, answer their questions, check over their reconciliations and just make sure things are right, right? And just make sure it's clean and it's right. It's not meant for a heavy discussion on any one topic. It's just ask your question, we'll answer it here. If it's more involved, I'll shoot you a Loom video and then I'll put the Loom video up in the library and everybody can see it. The franchise would come that all of these bookkeepers and especially tax accountants that have all of these people that call them up and they're like, geez, that's expensive. You know, and saying no, well, you could make, you know, five times as much as what you're making with your current clients in one hour, just by facilitating the people who think you're too expensive to be doing the books for them. Right? Yeah. 
And so it'd be all of the technology, all the, you know, the, the processes, the libraries, all of those things for those specific people, and especially tax accountants. So they're not handed a big, ugly shoebox at the end of every year. Like, here you go, oh, fix it. True. Nobody wants that. No tax accountant wants to be cleaning. So they, tax garbage. people would be pushing them to go to this. Yes. Or even running their own. Right. And so you could run your own bookkeeping club on our platform um, with all of our, with all of our support. And why do you think you need to wait two years? Um, I don't know what I don't know yet. This is a newer program. Yeah. Yep. I haven't offered it to the world. I've offered it to a select, very select few. They've been in it for the last seven months and they're really enjoying it. They're really excelling inside of it. Um, um, I'm being gentle with it. Maybe too gentle. What is your pricing on that? Uh, it's 149 a month. Okay. Yeah. And then they come in for uh, every week. Yep. Yep. And so the requirements, there are certain requirements that I'm learning. There are certain people that need too much help. Like if you're just into QuickBooks and you have no idea what you're doing, you're not a good fit yet. So there still needs to be a baby step in front of that yeah. so that they're not coming in and taking up the entire hour with all of their questions. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then um, of course, they need to be in QuickBooks or some other thing where, where you can have uh, assign an accountant to you so you can watch along with what they're doing and that type of thing. Well, I think that's a great idea because I honestly don't know where to go to get support like that. Like, I feel like it's kind of on your own and hopefully you find a good tax person. And that's what I feel like I hire. I don't even think of CPA or any of those things. You know, I just think, okay, I need to file taxes. I need a tax guy. Only right. recently have I thought been talking to CPAs and been learning about this. And I'm like, no one told me anything about this. I thought it was just like free for all. And then you hire a good tax guy and they figure it out. Right. Right. <laughs> There's a team that could work together there. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, Make your life a little easier. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information. And I'm just so excited that we met. I, feel, I don't even know how you found me. I don't need, or how I found you. <laughs> you know, I was kind of looking back too. I was like, I know that we had talked before, but the last Instagram, like our Instagram messenger. Uh -huh. um, but before that, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But I am so glad that we did. And thank you so much for sharing all this information. And I am excited to keep following your journey. And if there's anything I could do to help you or support you or whatever, just let me know. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jessica. You have a wonderful weekend. You too. Have a wonderful evening. Awesome. Well, it was great meeting you and have fun watching that movie with your daughters. I will. Thanks. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Again, thank you for listening to Don't Call Me Girl Boss. The best way to support this podcast is by liking and subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Instagram at Don't Call Me Girl Boss. There is a new episode every Sunday usually in the afternoon or at night. Thank you again for listening.